Good morning, Crosspoint. Um, today's scripture reading of the day is Acts 9, 19 through 31. While you're getting there, for those that don't know, my name is Eli. I've been coming to Crosspoint ever since I was just a little guy. Um, my beautiful wife, Hope, has been coming for the past five years, and together we have a son named Grayson who's about to turn four months. Now let's hear God's word. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on his name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priest? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit it increased in numbers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, son. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get there. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 31 as we continue in our series through the book of Acts. For those of you who are uh, trusting in and following Jesus, do you remember some of the changes that took place when you became a Christian? Uh, when you came to realize that you were in need of a, of, of a Savior and that you, nor man-made religion, nor anything else could be that Savior, but Jesus Christ was the faithful one. He was the way, the truth, and the life. It was through repentance and faith in Jesus that you could become a Christian and receive the forgiveness of sin, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, receive the gift of eternal life in Christ. To repent means to have a change of mind, to agree with the Lord where previously you disagreed with the Lord. And that internal repentance then leads to an outward change, outward changes. Your, your heart has been made new according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. New creation leads to a new direction. What were the internal, what were some of the outward evidences of new creation life in Christ for you? Early on, what about last week? What about the previous months or years in between those two times? What are the evidences of that new creation life in you? That would be a great question for you to talk about with one another after this gathering ends. If I had my guess, a lot of our answers would have to do around the fruit of the Spirit that's talked about in Galatians 5. The, it, the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those evidences would not reveal a flawless perfection, but they would reveal a new creation progress by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit. New creation in Jesus leads to new direction in Jesus. That has been forever the pattern for followers of Jesus. And today in this passage, we get a read of Luke's account of some of the changes that took place 
in Saul's life following his conversion to faith in Jesus. His conversion is recorded there in, earlier in Acts 9 that Kent looked at last week. Luke, the writer of Acts, wants us to see some of the dramatic shifts and changes that have taken place in Saul's new creation life in Jesus early on, not just later, but early. And these will be themes that aren't just temporary, but themes throughout the rest of his life. Saul, who later in Acts 13 will begin to be referred to as Paul. Saul is the Hebrew name. Uh, Paul is the Greek name. In this passage, he's referred to as Saul, so we'll, we'll try to stick with that. In Acts 7 and 8, we see that, that he was absolutely opposed to the church and to the name of Jesus. But since Saul's conversion to faith and trust in Jesus, we'll see in this passage, he begins to join in the work of building and strengthening the church, whereas before he's seeking to destroy the church. And he's doing that ministry work alongside the church and its people rather than being opposed to the church and the people of God. And then, as we might expect, he also begins to feel the opposition from those who he was once alongside in the mission to persecute the church. So the persecutor will become the persecuted in this passage. This passage has some geographic travel in it as well. So uh, there's a map up there, hopefully, that will... Yeah, see? This is awesome. We nailed it, okay? There's a map up there. And that map hopefully will give us some context into, uh, to be able to track along with this passage. So last week, I don't have uh, Kent's... Kent's got that laser pointer thing that's like bright as the sun, okay? I don't have that, so you're just going to have to use your eyeballs, all right? But Saul will, uh, he, he leaves Jerusalem in, earlier in Acts 9 on a mission to persecute the church in Damascus. On his way to Damascus, Jesus confronts him. Saul is humbled. Saul transfers his trust away from himself and on to Jesus. He becomes a follower, a disciple of Jesus. He'll spend some time in Damascus, which is where this passage picks up. Then he will travel south to Arabia. And uh, Luke will address that in about five words in this passage. Then he travels back north to Damascus, kind of serving his bookends, then Jerusalem down south, and then back north to uh, Caesarea and Tarsus. Clear as mud? All right, I think that, that will help at least as we go along through this. So let's get into the passage. Be encouraged by Saul's early days of faith walking and how the church walk, walked alongside him to care for him, to support him, to love him, because that's what the church of Jesus Christ does. Because Jesus has first loved us, we love one another, starting with the second half of verse 19. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on, his, called on this name and came here for the purpose of of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests. But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus. This is an absolute 180 from Saul's mission before. His mission before was to kill the name of Jesus, literally, and to attack those who sought to proclaim the name of Jesus. In Acts 8, we see Stephen one of the servant leaders in the church, after testifying to the name of Jesus, Saul is there approving of Stephen's death by stoning. Here, since his conversion, he immediately begins proclaiming Jesus, and here is who he is. 
So the persecutor now has become the proclaimer. And he proclaims, here's who Jesus is. He is the son of God, Saul says. Meaning Jesus is, according to Hebrews 1.3, the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. According to Colossians 1, 15 through 17, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. Saul is proclaiming Jesus is the son of God. And he was and is God in the flesh. So, so Jesus was not just another rebellious leader. He, he was not just another teacher or a good man, but he was the son of God. And so as a result, death could not hold him. The tomb could not hold him. Saul is telling the Jews in the synagogue, which was a common place for both Jesus to teach as well as the early church, Saul is declaring that Jesus is the Messiah as well which is what Peter was preaching in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. In Messiah, think of the word deliverer. He is the Savior, the sent one, the one promised throughout the Old Testament, the one who would come to seek and save those who were lost. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged as missionaries through Saul's testimony here. Immediately, he began proclaiming. He couldn't help but speak of the one who had met him on that road to Damascus, it's the same pattern in the gospel accounts. Jesus uh, ministers to people and they can't help but go and tell. And Saul's focus was not on himself either. It was Christ. Again, the same pattern of the woman at the well or Peter or Stephen or now Saul. The, the, the message, the focus was Jesus. Here is who he is. So we proclaim him. He is the message that we speak of. And when we hear the word proclaim, we often associate that with a public platform with a microphone. And while that is one example of proclamation, it is most certainly not the only form. To proclaim simply means to speak, to tell. Thinking about my own faith story, the Lord used public platforms with a microphone to proclaim the name of Jesus. Church, youth groups, concerts. But he also used... I would almost argue more significantly, he used proclamation in homes, in living rooms, around kitchen tables. I gave my life to the Lord Jesus following Heather, my then girlfriend, sharing with me the gospel in her home. There was a CD radio probably in sight, maybe even some cassette players, okay? There wasn't a microphone to be seen or heard. There definitely wasn't pictures. We would have had to wait two weeks for those pictures to come back, okay? And then realize they're all tra trash. I was talking to a cross pointer a few weeks ago and she was sharing, me, sharing with me how she's seeking to be a witness of Jesus to a friend. And she doesn't feel adequate. And she knows she doesn't know all the answers to all the questions being asked, which none of us do, starting with this guy. And yet she's walking by faith. She's walking by faith. She's pursuing. She's loving like Jesus. She's praying. She's proclaiming the name of Jesus. May the Lord bring about salvation in her friend's life as well as in the multitude of others who we are on mission to. What feels weak or foolish, loved ones, is the power of God for the salvation of all who might believe. 
The wisdom of God is so much greater than the wisdom of this world. May we prayerfully proclaim the name of Jesus as a way of life. Verse 23, Luke writes, after many days had passed. Well, in those five words, Luke is addressing how Saul leads to or heads to Arabia for what scholars believe around two to three years. He will return to Damascus, which is the second half of verse 23, where it picks up. But in a, in a sense, Damascus is this bookends to this section. We don't know much about his time in Arabia. Remember, Luke is recording in the Acts of the Apostles in this book. He's not recording every single little detail that's ever taken place. This is not an ultra-detailed account, for instance, of Paul's ministry and mission career. So how do we learn about this jaunt to Arabia, let alone his visit to Damascus and his later visit to Jerusalem? Well, Paul writes of it in Galatians 1. He's writing a letter to the Galatian church. He's talking about these early days of following Jesus, and he's telling the church that this gospel that he's proclaiming isn't man-made. He didn't come up with it. It wasn't even passed down from man. He got it from the Lord Jesus himself. So Galatians 1, 11 through 20, we'll read this section, which helps us see uh, Acts 9 better. Paul writes, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the, tra for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia, came back to Damascus, then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas or Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I'm not lying in what I write to you. So then going back to the passage in Acts 9, Saul was in Damascus, then to Arabia, and now returns to Damascus. The Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. Saul was in such a position of power and control before he met Jesus. Now he's humbled by the Lord, the one who has all true power and authority, because such, such power and control in Saul's fleshly heart would have led to eternal separation it would have led to an eternal fall if you will because Saul would have been unwilling to check himself to bow a knee to the Lord Jesus and now Saul is in the humble position of being lowered in a big basket at night and depending upon others for the whole process from the watching to the lowering to probably finding the basket there's nothing triumphant about this scene hey get in the basket oh okay don't worry, we'll lower you at a good rate. Okay. Get your head down. There's nothing triumphant about this. Acts 7, they're laying the clothes before Saul because he has all the power and control at Stephen's death. And now he's humbled himself because he's trusting in the Lord and trusting in the Lord's people. 
how beautiful of a shift this is in Saul's life since his conversion. For as the scriptures tell us in multiple places, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Saul has received grace. And it's through humility that true life and real joy are found. Not in clamoring for self-exalting power and control, but in joyfully and humbly submitting your life to the good and loving power and control of a forever faithful Lord and Savior. He is for you. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Don't delay. Don't delay in humbling yourself. Now the scene shifts to Jerusalem. This is roughly three years since Saul's conversion. When he arrived in Jerusalem, verse 26, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Saul tried to join with the disciples, but fear of him remains. They simply didn't believe until they saw with their own eyes. Maybe the Jerusalem disciples thought this was some sort of elaborate scheme to, to lead to persecution. It, it seems odd. It, it seems like they should have known that word would have traveled faster, uh, revealing and talking about Saul's new direction in his life. But this also reveals how his old creation life, how it had such a significant reputation. And that reputation was not easily uh, turned over until they spent time with him. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles. We learned that from what Paul wrote in Galatians 1, he will then end up spending time with Peter, end up spending time with James, Jesus' brother. We're introduced to Barnabas in Acts 4 in verses 36 and 37. And there we, we learn that his, his, meet, his name means son of encouragement. We also see an example there in Acts 4 of his financial generosity toward the church. Barnabas is one of my favorite characters in the scriptures. How ele Acts 11 describes him as what I would call my prayerful tombstone verse. Heather and I have these, all right? A life verse, if you will, that we, we pray would capture the theme of our lives. It's kind of a, mor a morbid subject, okay? But tax season is coming up. Death is, is certain as well. well. Let's just talk about these things. We should. We should, especially if you're married. You should, all right, why don't you plan a nice date and talk about your tombstone verse? I think it'd be good. I think it'd lead to, I'm not joking. I think it'd be good conversation. We need something to kind of guide us so we're not just getting caught up in the grind of daily life and missing the big picture, missing the eternal view. But Acts 11, verse 14, or verse 24 says this, and I pray it would describe my life by the grace of God. Whether it's etched in granite, I don't care. I'm with the Lord. I'm with the Lord's people, okay? So you can save some money on that one, honey. But uh, verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. So it should not surprise us that Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is the one who the Lord uses to bring Saul to the apostles. The idea of took him there in verse 27 means he took him under his wing. He listened. He encouraged. He advocated. He serves as a mediator, a wingman, if you will, saying, I'll go with you 
and I'll go with you and I'll lead. I'll serve as your ambassador. And notice that none of this action by Barnabas is without risk. This is faith walking. Other disciples are fearful of Saul, like that gif of Homer going back into the grass, ever, anybody, or the hedge. Okay, maybe that's just one I use. But all the other disciples are like, no, okay, we're good. Let's just see if this is real. And, and Barnabas takes a step forward and says, I'll go with you. I'll be your advocate. Other disciples are fearful. And yet here, Barnabas is living out the gospel to Saul. Like Jesus, he's not holding his sins against him. It is, welcome, brother Saul. Welcome. We've heard of the grace of God in your life. We're thankful you're here. Welcome to the family. Brothers and sisters, may we live in such a way in community where we have Barnabases around us. Even more so. Even more importantly far more importantly, may we seek to be a son or daughter of encouragement to others. One who speaks life, giving words. Who is a source of encouragement. Who adds value. Who speaks the gospel. Who reminds one another of our identity in Christ that is unchanging, including in the gray of January. May we speak gospel to one another. Be a Barnabas to one another in the family of God. In both verse 27 and 28, Luke writes that Saul was speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. When we hear boldly, especially in our day, we, we think brash. We think brash. And yet elsewhere in Paul's uh, later writings, we learn that his preaching was often in weakness. To the Colossian church, he asked them to pray that he wouldn't be scared. That he would speak boldly or clearly the gospel when the door would open. So let's not misunderstand boldness in speech. It's not brash. It's not rooted in a self-exalting self-confidence. Rather, it means having a spirit-empowered courage to open our mouths as the Lord directs. And it's rooted in a confidence that the gospel has power to it. The name of Jesus is worthy of being spoken of. Saul is speaking boldly in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Saul. That would lead to no fruit. Speaking in the name of Jesus leads to fruit. There is not a Sunday that has gone by over the years that I have not preached up here with some level of anxiety or nerves. So you're fearful of public speaking? Welcome. Walk by faith. It's just two steps. There's not a Sunday that has gone by, including this one. But the more I remind my heart in the midst of, leading up to, that in the name of Jesus that I'm speaking, the more I'm reminded that the labor is never in vain. It's never wasted. Brothers and sisters, may we courageously, humbly, lovingly speak of Jesus, for He is worthy and He is at work through His ambassadors. Saul's bold speaking leads to what? Well, it leads to persecution, opposition from the same group, the Hellenistic Jews that had killed Stephen, that Saul was alongside, and now that same group is seeking to kill Saul in his return to Jerusalem. And yet Saul is boldly speaking of Jesus in prayerful hope that this same group might repent and trust in Jesus for salvation, the same hope that Stephen had. Because that's always our hope, right? That opposition and rejection won't be the end of the story, but rather reception, 
Repentance would be the end. He'd left, he'd left Jerusalem to persecute the Christians at Damascus. Now he's returning a few years later as a new creation in Christ. When you begin to follow Jesus, the, the direction of your heart and life radically shifts. You were walking one way, and now you've turned around. You were walking in darkness, and now you're walking in the light. You were tied up to sin, and now leading to death, and now you have life in Christ. It was despair, and now it's hope. It was, I'm running to the flesh. Any chance I get to try to find satisfaction, I come up empty, empty, empty. And now, but now in Christ, I'm living by faith in Him, the risen one who rose again for me. Saul is on mission to the people he used to run with. It's not the only people he's on mission to, but they are included. So brothers and sisters, some encouragement for you who might find yourself on mission to people who knew you before you knew the Lord. Don't go alone. Rather, do be alongside brothers and sisters, other believers who will pray for you, encourage you, be on mission with you, and remind you of your new creation life in Christ. Also, don't be surprised by opposition to your new creation life. Rather, do expect it. And be encouraged when you get it. Because it reminds you, you're walking in a new way. Thanks to the goodness and the grace of God. Don't go in your own strength. Rather, do be prayerful. And go in the power of the Spirit. Prayerful for the Lord to open a door and for you to speak clearly and boldly of the name of Jesus and his saving work in your life. And finally, don't fall back into sin. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4 that rather we should have the intent to be finished with sin because it was finished on the cross. He writes in verses 3 through 5 in that chapter, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They, meaning those yet to trust in Christ, are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Many of you understand that reality. Slanderous comments, slanderous moments where, where the invitation is there to join in in wild living. And Peter writes, when you don't join in, you're gossiped about, you're mocked, you're dismissed. Brothers and sisters, so is Jesus. So is Jesus. So be encouraged that your life is identified with your Savior and not with the world. Not with the world. That if our Savior can save you and me, He can reach us with the gospel, then we wholeheartedly say no one is beyond reach. If He can reach us, He can reach anyone, including those who might slander or mock or dismiss. Hellenistic Jews are seeking to kill Saul. Verse 30, when the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Another reminder of how the church was surrounding Saul and Saul was alongside them. The care and support received through the family of God in Damascus, now in Jerusalem. Tarsus was a, a capital city, strategic among trade routes. It was a center for learning like a university town. It was Saul's hometown. We don't know much about why they sent him off to Tarsus or what took place during those years he was there. It's safe to assume, though, that the believers in Jerusalem knew there was a local church. There was a local faith family in Tarsus 
who Saul could be alongside and experience the one anothering that we've seen him experience in Damascus, I'm sure in Arabia, as well as here in Jerusalem. Saul goes off stage at this point, now until Acts 11, when we read this. Then he, Barnabas, went to Tarsus to search for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught large numbers. The, the, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So scholars say somewhere between 8 to 12 years passed in Saul's life before he enters into ministry in, uh, here in Acts 11. Again, we don't know much about these years as he's in Tarsus, but I think that's a good thing. I think it reminds us that in the celebrity, fame, addicted culture that we live in, that Saul, while immediately involved in ministry, also spent some years doing ministry in the name of Jesus in obscurity. May we do the same. May we do the same, loved ones. May we reject this clamoring for self-glory and for a following, for the limelight. Rather, may we be found faithful to show and tell of Jesus, whether seen or unseen. Ministry in the name of Jesus, including done in obscurity, is never wasted in the kingdom. My friends, it's never wasted. It's never in vain. And then we get to verse 31, which is the summary verse. I love that Chris began the service with this, but it's a summary verse to give us a snapshot of what the Lord is doing through the Spirit-empowered people of God thus far in Acts. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Jesus' commission in Acts 1.8 is coming to pass because he's faithful, because that's who he is. The gospel is going out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria. In Galilee, there's no mention thus far in Acts of evangelism, evangelism there. And yet, the church is growing Acts is not an exhaustive account of all the things that took place in all the places, and yet even in the mention of Galilee, we are encouraged at the expansive ministry in the name of Jesus that is taking place. The Lord is continuing to build His church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Luke writes in verse 31 there, so the church. Well, the language there implies a one unified Big C church, one body, one organism that is being built up and strengthened in multiple places. One church throughout multiple geographic locations, the unified church growing in both width and depth. The church is growing in numbers and the church is growing deeper in their devotion to Jesus, who is the Messiah and the Son of God. May the same be said in our day. May the vision of verse 31 be a prayerful vision through this seemingly obscure location and a bunch of obscure people, right? This random small town in the Midwest, an outpost for ministry and mission for the name of Jesus, proclaiming it to the various spheres that we encounter. So the church throughout all Woodford County and central Illinois and urban and rural contexts and small towns to Reynosa to Papua New Guinea, across racial divides and socioeconomic lines and class lines across borders, every tribe and tongue, may the church of Jesus Christ be strengthened, may it be built up, may it live in the fear of the Lord and be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. May it increase in numbers 
that reveal lives are being changed, families and generations are being transformed, households are, being, are doing a 180 because of faith in Christ. May the Lord increase the number of people coming to faith in Jesus, experiencing new creation life and walking in a new direction for His glory and His name alone. That's our prayer, Lord. May it be so. Thank you for the reminder through your word today of our need to be dependent upon you and one another in all of life. May we be sons and daughters of encouragement to one another. And those around us in this life, may, may you enable us to walk well with and love well, love one another well as your family. In our weakness, may we experience the reality that your grace is sufficient. In our trembling, embolden our hearts, secure our feet, and steady our hands. Remind us of your great name and that we go not in the power of us, but in you. And thank you that you're with us and in us and you're for us. We are never alone and we are grateful. We trust you. We serve you, Jesus. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Psalm 34, the first uh, nine verses say this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. We have everything we need in him.